Billine Berets reporting for duty. Fasten your seatbelts and hold on to your carrots. You're about to enter the Lean Braze Throwdown Zone, the hard rock of fitness and food. We are Adventures of Health. Hide the donuts. You're listening to the Lean Braze Radio Show app, theleanbraze.com. Welcome, Braves. I'm Ron Jones with Kevin Rail, and for the first time, Julie Schwartz from Atlanta, Georgia. And we're the Lean Berets, and we've got a special show today on school lunch reforms, food-based school and foods, which is an interesting concept. You, you might have thought uh, we should be doing that already, but uh, a lot of the so-called food in schools, I don't know if I would qualify that as food. But we're very happy to have Julie Schwartz on the, on the show with us the first time. I've known Julie for a number of years, and like Kevin and I, she's also a licensed well coach, but she brings some really unique qualifications to our show today, and we're really excited since we're talking about school launch. She has a master's degree in sports nutrition, a bachelor of science in health ed and health promotion. She's a registered dietitian. She's a well coach uh, like Kevin and I as well. She's American College of Sports Medicine certified in health fitness uh, and health fitness specialty. Uh, her website is NutriWellCoaching.com. And she's been doing this for over 25 years. And she's, you know, a fitness person and pro- fitness professional as well as a registered dietitian. So she brings a lot to the uh, the feast today. So welcome. Thank you. I'm, I'm very excited to be here and to help clear up some myths and, and see what we can um, kind of portray to everybody, changes that are coming down the pipeline, things that maybe still need to be done that um, – Really, we can all be champions to help. And, you know, I know sometimes when people talk, they give disclaimers, and I shared this with um, the, you know, that I have worked in the past in the school nutrition program, so I can say um, a lot of things I feel that's in the trenches, and I can see how it can be done and done well and done healthfully. So I really love the challenge when sometimes people say, well, you can't make healthy. We don't have enough time. We don't this or that. Um, but we do, and we can, even in the school system. But I do think there is a lot of work to be done, and um, I've shared also we moved to an area, and my kids were in elementary school, and they actually quit eating the school lunches because I thought they were nasty. I thought they did a really, really poor job. Um, even some basic what would have been healthy, the quality wasn't good. Right. So, um, and there had been some changes um, back years ago to make the school menus, the school lunches, the school breakfast more nutritious, and the focus was so much on the nutrition that it allowed for kind of, I call them fake foods, things that really weren't all that healthy but had a whole bunch of vitamins and minerals pumped in, and they were able to make the grade. And that's one of my favorite things that's actually being taken out is some of those fortified food products are not going to be um, making the grade anymore. We're really moving towards towards a food-based plan. Um, it's not entirely that way, but it's definitely on the way to seeing some changes. So real food instead of the Franken foods in the laboratory fortified with 
you know, this and that. It's it's interesting. And, right. if, and for the for the people that don't know, I mean, the, this show is actually uh, dealing directly with the National School Lunch and Breakfast Program reforms announced by the USDA in the spring of 2012. And and it's part of uh, the Let's Move campaign with Michelle Obama to uh, get our kids more fit and eating better. And it's going to be phased in over the next few years, and it's it's already starting, um, but it really is going to start kicking into gear next year. So they're giving the schools a few years to make some pretty significant changes. And uh, I guess if we had a big umbrella term, we would call it, you know, we're moving to food-based uh, right. school lunch or school breakfasts, right? Which, you know, is kind of an interesting concept because you would think there'd be real food in schools now, but they're... Like you said, a lot of them have just been fortified. We've been wanting to yeah. do a, a, a show on school lunches, Kevin, for years. Never. So this is this is actually really good timing. Yeah, and I re- I specifically recall those days like they were yesterday when I would go to stand in the lunch line, starving, get my meal, come down to my table, sit down, and stare at my food and say, "Well, it kind of looks like peaches, and this kind of looks like bread, and that kind of looks like a sandwich." Then you bite into it, and after eating that meal. I walk out of the cafeteria, and approximately 20 minutes later, maybe less at times, I would be doubled over at my desk, having convulsions in my stomach, and it felt like I got punched in the stomach with someone who had a ball for a fist. And you, that happened every single day of the week. Well, you know, my I struggled through 12 years of school like that. And at that point in time, I didn't give a, I didn't give a damn about calories or sodium or anything else, and this, that, and the other. I just knew I was starving. I'm gonna eat the food. Yeah. And. I had no clue of anything, and then all fast forward all this time later, and I knew they were infiltrating the the breakfast option. The vending machines were coming into town. They had these this separate snack bar that was all junk food completely. It was like it was cupcakes, it was drinks, it was um, these things called chip witches, which are ice cream sandwiches. The list went on and on. And it was complete junk food, and their kids used to just flock to it. Right. And I'm I'm talking like late '80s. This was when the childhood obesity epidemic wasn't even really a thing just yet. It just kind of started then. And I look back in hindsight. And that was like the kickoff of the whole degradation of the school lunch system, in my opinion. And now Julie just informed me of last week we had a conversation, and she mentioned this thing where they're trying to sneak healthy vitamins and minerals into muffins and stuff like that. And I can't think of more of a firing squad worthy <laughs> thing to yeah. destroy in my mind than that. And it reminds me of the, the crap they tried to do with Diet Soda a couple of years ago. Remember they they made that antioxidant-rich soda? You guys remember that? Right, right. Yeah. Right. I forgot about that. kind of broke yeah, some kind of bogus thing, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Well, it looks like— but That completely reminded me of it, and now, you know, Julie's informing us that there's all these reforms going on, which I was unaware of, so I'm, I'm thrilled to have Julie on today to yeah. kind of go over this a little bit more, because I have so many friends, and I have clients and stuff that have kids, and we're always talking about the school lunch system, and they, it's funny because they, they tell me about the same exact problems I had growing up, too. too. The kids are getting stomach aches and belly aches and this, that, and the other, and it's just very sobering to know that finally some kind of action is being taken. Nonsense. Well, let's um, let me. I'm gonna just briefly go over the USDA memo SP10-2012, and basically it's the nutritional standards in the National School Lunch and School Breakfast Programs outline. It, it does a nice job summarizing. We'll hook this up on the website on the show, but uh, we're gonna let Julie cover this in sections. So, the first section is grains and what kind of a uh, whole grain-rich changes are gonna be coming down there. We have a meat section, uh, milk. We have uh, some questions and comments on that meat section, by the way. Fruits, uh, vegetables, and a really interesting section here to talk about is the sodium. Boy, the sodium content is really high, as most people know. And then the uh, calories and fats, and there's a lot of commentary that Julie will make on the 
calorie uh, contents by age group that I think a lot of people are going to be a little bit confused on. So, Julie, uh, you want to start with the grains and just kind of run that run that down and tell us why they're making those changes and what's going to happen? Yeah, I do. And, and I actually want to, I, I did a little research, um, extra research this morning, and I haven't shared this yet with Kevin and Ron, but I really want to kind of make a couple points that before we go into the guidelines, how impactful these can be. When you look at 95% of our young people in this country are enrolled in schools, and one-fifth of the U.S. population is found in schools on a daily basis between the kids and the adults that work there. So these changes really can impact one-fifth of our population. It's pretty big. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I saw that, and I thought, you know, that that's impactful. And those people are going to take it home to their families. So really making changes in the schools can have such an impact on our whole community and on our country. Well, the USDA website cites that 32 million uh, kids participate in school meal programs every school day. So this is a this is a yes. major opportunity to make some good, positive, healthy changes. Yep, yep, it really is. So when we look at grains, you know, there's there's always these popular um, diets and things that go go around. So we really want to kind of keep grains um, just generic, and we're looking at um, we need a certain amount of grain in our in our meal plan and in our in our week. Grains offer a lot of nutrients. They offer a lot of nutritional value. Most grain foods are fortified somewhat, and just kind of some of the fortification I can buy into, not the muffins that have stuff pumped in or the super donuts, but um, when we look at deficiencies, a lot of times the fortification comes because of deficiencies that run in our country. Mm-hmm. And you know, they have to be reevaluated over time as we eat differently. Um, so that's just a, a quick side. But we want to look at the grains. There's different amounts of um, recommendations on all of the different foods or food groups, and it's really based on age because at different ages, we have different nutrient requirements from calories, um, different requirements for fat, so there's the, that makes a difference, and um, protein as well as our carbs. But with the grains, we're looking at trying to get most of them to be whole grain. And about 50% need to be whole grain, and it's whole grain by weight. So it can be a little bit confusing. One of the trends, though, within the school lunches, especially the really premium school lunch programs, is to make all of their grains whole grain. So it's whole wheat, it's oats, it's quinoa, it's brown rice. So we're really looking to offer the healthier choices. And when we offer the healthier choices and they're less processed, then there's not so much that needs to be added back to eat these nutritious foods. And right now, I'd say most of the grains, uh, I guess as of last year, uh, would be refined grains, correct? Well, a lot would be, or they didn't, um, they've really focused on whole grains for a few years. But there are a lot of ways that you could get by it. And some foods are um, rich sources or good sources of whole grain, but maybe not really what we we um, are talking about is healthful, meaning whole grain, good source of fiber. And so that's what there is that tend trend to look more at 
the value of the whole grain, less processed is the biggest key. So this, less processed food. This sounds like a, a really good uh, improvement then. We can all yep. agree on that. And and just right. uh, just kind of an FYI for those of you thinking, well, how how is my school going to be able to afford to do this? This is all tied into federal funding, so your school doesn't really have a choice. Uh, what, right. Ju- what Julie was telling us in the pre-show planning is that school lunch programs cannot run without the federal funding, you know, at least most of them, right? So they've got to have the I'll, funding to make it happen. Is that correct? That is correct. That, yeah, without the federal funding and even the, um, the food subsidies that happen and the commodity foods that come into the program, they, um, the, the, they could not put out the volume, and I'm going to say quality in quotes, of food Without that funding, it would be impossible. That would be the restaurant that goes out of business because it's it's too much. Okay, so this um, is this is going to happen no matter what, and it's just and right. that's that's why they're giving the schools two or three years to phase it all in too. Right, and also you know the focus now is really on the healthy, but in the past, things such as breading on meat, um, you know, in the south you see it more chicken and fish, but you know they. There's breaded beef. There's breaded pork. You know, the breading does not count toward um, the maximal grains required in a week. So it's really getting back towards better quality. The other thing that used to count is you used to be able to make kind of a healthier, I guess, dessert using a whole grain base. Mm-hmm. And, and the desserts do not count at all towards the grain requirement either. So, you know, it used to be you could put maybe some low-fat chips or some dessert or some breading to help meet the requirements. But now it's more, you have to have real food. It's got to be that this is a grain. So as they close these kind of loopholes, if you will, then there's no uh, advantage for the school offering the dessert if they can't count it in some category. So then they're they're basically going to fade away, correct? Because otherwise it's just money yes. out of their pocket. Is that correct? Right. Okay, interesting. Right. And, then, and then the other thing is that, that those desserts, don't really count for anything they'll count against you because desserts are typically going to be um, higher fat higher calories and higher sodium so there's absolutely going to be no advantage for desserts anymore and they're it doesn't not, mean that they they, they, they won't ever be there yeah but but they probably won't see them and they can't count it so they can't get reimbursed for it it's just money out of their pocket the way i see it right yeah if, yes. they, if they go above and beyond the basic requirements they're going to have to pay for right. it on their own which most schools won't do Right. Okay, so that moves. Go ahead. And I was going to say kind of that above and beyond, even within the, the school nutrition programs, um, there, through the USDA, there's different levels. It, that, um, some schools and school systems really compete to be at that go above and beyond, but in the opposite direction where they're already going above and beyond and they're not serving desserts and they're, they're already meeting these guidelines completely. Hmm. And so... So that just gives a little bit more distinction. Um, so that there's there's pluses. Now there's a lot of incentive to do better. Good. Okay. Well, that's I'm I'm pretty happy with the the grain improvements. So we're going to move forward into the meat section and and meat uh, in the in this section I'm reading here the outline it also says meat alternative. So they right. don't have to serve meat, but they can have some alternatives. And I have some questions. Kevin and I, and maybe some criticisms on what they call alternatives, but basically they're talking about uh, on the meat side, one ounce cooked, skinless, unbreaded portion of beef, fish, or poultry. And then right. uh, that would equal one ounce of meat meat alternative requirement. 
uh, and then on the alternative, it looks like that's four ounces or half a cup of soy yogurt or dairy yogurt, which I have a real issue with that with Kevin. When you start talking about yogurt, the sugar flag, you know, comes up with me. Uh, so, you know, typically we think of meat as a protein source, but I'm, I'm questioning that. So why don't you help us understand that, Julie? Okay. So one of the things that, you know, you want to also keep in the back of your mind um, that when we look at our country, the culture of our country has drastically changed. And um, there are a lot of people in our country that are vegetarian and many are vegan. Mm -hmm. So some of this is to make sure that, that there's really a vegetarian or a vegan choice at times um, in the meals, um, which the dairy, of course, would not meet the vegan. But the other thing is to you know look at oftentimes you know, protein foods, meat, are some of the most expensive component of the meal. So there's ways that you can overall make a healthier meal um, by cutting back on meat sometimes, mm -hmm. not necessarily every day. So when you look at the nutrient composition of, say, a dairy, and, and I'm a, a proponent of low-fat dairy mm -hmm. you know, and actually fat-free dairy um, because you just take the fat out and it's not like a fat-free um, content. It's just you take it out. If you look at a serving of dairy, you're getting the same amount of protein as you would get in an ounce of meat. And that's why it can be considered a meat alternative. And it's got a really um, good amino acid profile so that um, you're getting more of a you know, pretty complete protein as well. So that's why it would um, be considered a meat alternative. What about the when you get into fat-free and you remove the fat, which, you know, we talk a lot about macronutrients here. So, you know, the three right. macronutrients are carbohydrates, proteins, and fat. So when you take out that fat, doesn't it really spike that glycemic index? Because that's been one of my concerns. And if I heard Dr. Oz talking about this a couple months ago, saying that we shouldn't drink non-fat milk anymore because we need some fat in our diet and that it's better for the glycemic index to, to level that out a little bit. So what do you, what right. do you say about that one? So what I say about that is that we do need fat in our diet, and we do need a um, good amount of fat in our diet because it does help with the glycemic index. And further, you know, it's important to get our fat-soluble vitamins and our other nutrients that need fat as a vehicle to get into our body. Um, fat's important for our hair, our nail, our skin. We eat more than ample fat in our, in our day. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at um, a protein, you know, an animal protein, and the amount of protein that most Americans eat, we more than meet our, our, um, our fat, even if we don't add fat. Um, so we eat lean protein. It's still going to have a good amount of fat, so we don't really need it in our dairy. And somebody that is using more alternative sources of meat, such as dairy, um, you know, they're, they're getting fat most of the time in other places um, for the average person. So you think that um, because they're getting enough fat, that that would justify the fat-free milk? Yes. Okay. I and, the other part of, and the other part of we talk about the glycemic index, we got to kind of remember that there's foods on that glycemic index. It's really about a number that's um, put to a specific food and you know, the, the spike in blood sugar for 100 grams of that food. So the glycemic index has some value for diabetics, 
But we actually, there's quite a bit of research that shows that for the average American, it may or may not have that much value for our health or our weight because we don't usually eat just that one item. So if you have that serving of dairy as a component of a balanced meal, not going to be a problem with that glycemic index because it's looking at the more the glycolytic index, which is the combination mm-hmm. of um, glycogen re- or glucose response to the whole meal. So that makes sense. I mean, if, if you have if you just drink the non-fat milk by itself, then that would be pretty high in that glycemic index if you had a great big glass. But because in, right. it's in context of the the more balanced plan that the government is rolling out, it it really isn't a factor. Right. It's a component. And, oh, um, okay. I get that. And, and I, I know that you also had the concern with the nuts. And that that's the other thing is nuts do have um, quite a bit of fat, but some of the nuts are more um, are, are not as high in protein and some are, are higher protein. So with the school nutrition programs, they're really going to look at something like the sunflower seeds, the almonds, um, you know, some of these better sources of fat, um, when I say better, um, higher sources. So almonds, pistachios, sunflower seeds, they tend to have about that same six grams of protein Mm -hmm. for an ounce, you know, but they do have a lot of fat. We're also finding that nuts are a lot more healthy than we used to think. You know, we've stayed away from nuts, stayed away, but it's a small amount of nuts really can be beneficial. They've got great source of fiber. Um, and the fat is a healthier fat. Yeah, we're big on seeds and nuts, but you know, we've what we've done this year is break this foods down by macronutrient concentration. So we look at seeds and nuts as a fat. Now, sure, they have protein, but basically they're more fat than protein. You know, right. we, we just try to maybe we're oversimplifying, but that's that's kind of how we look at it. So, so what you're saying then is they're gonna they're gonna go after the nuts and seeds with the highest protein content for the meat right. meat alternative category. And then the reason right. they're doing that is because we have more vegetarians in our culture today. So that makes sense. Right. And we, to just give some and to give some alternatives to, you know, because some of what's underlying all this, too, is there still comes back to the business behind all of this and to have more economical meals. So you know, Wednesday's lunch might be more expensive, but. Wednesday's lunch is less expensive because we've used a little bit more of a meat alternative instead of a meat. Okay. And Kevin, what... Or, or, you know, when we get to fruits and vegetables, it can come down to the same thing. Is Some are going to be cheaper than others, so there's trying to find that balance. Okay. And Kevin, when you, when you, when you lay out seeds and nuts, what, what have you seen with the highest protein contents? Would you agree with that? I mean, they're, they're listing here sunflower seeds, almonds, and hazelnuts as the three seeds and nuts, but what do you say? I agree. High... I agree with that, but I don't feel there's much of a variance between the protein contents of them. Technically, those are probably the highest, but any nuts other than those are going to be maybe one or two grams less of protein. Okay. So they're all kind of in the same ballpark, minus macadamia nuts, which are, correct me if I'm wrong, Julie, but do they not have the highest amount of fat in them of, of all nuts, or am I off the same? No, they're, they're pretty much up there, but um, pecans are right behind them as well. And both of okay. those are, are closer to, like, you know, pecans and macadamias I don't think should have a place here because you only get about two grams of protein in an ounce, and, you, you know, you're looking at a lot of calories to get up to just the equivalent of one ounce. So they're going to be analyzed, so they're going to be looking 
I would be willing to bet and go out on a limb and say they're going. You're going to be seeing pistachios, almonds, sunflower seeds at that six grams. Even walnuts. You know, some of the others are closer to four grams for an ounce. Oh. Um, I I use in my counseling. I use nuts as a nice snack. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily always as a component in a meal. Gotcha. Nice. I absolutely love sesame seeds. They're a staple in my diet, and they're also high in vitamin D, which is a powerful antioxidant, which is helpful yeah. for your heart as well. And I also eat a ton of um, sesame seeds, which are also a good source of calcium, I might add, in case you're a vegetarian or vegan, and also hemp seeds. And I haven't heard you mention hemp seeds yet, but those are some of my staples, all three. And what I do with them is I don't necessarily use them as a snack, or I don't eat like a whole, I don't get a spoon and just dip into a, um, a package of them over and over 20 times. I just spread them out through the day. I put them in my oatmeal. I put them in smoothies. I put them in uh, salads. I sprinkle them over mm-hmm. um, steamed vegetables, stuff like that. So if you if you're at home, if you're trying to get a little boost of healthy fats and a little more protein in your meals, especially if you're vegan or vegetarian, those are just some tricks you can do. You can mix them in with things. And I'm a big firm. Um, we didn't talk much. Of, you mentioned quinoa earlier, but that's another thing that I think is going to factor in well with this whole transition of the grains in schools, provided they bring it yeah. in. Because it is, a, it is actually it's technically a seed. It's considered a grain, though, and it is a complete protein of all the all the grains out there, which makes it great for vegetarians and vegans. And also, when you add uh, the sprinkles of the, the hemp seeds and the sunflower seeds and the nuts and stuff into it, then you have a very good, healthy side dish slash meal even right there. And you get a good amount of, of essential fats in the whole nine yards, and it rolls in nicely. Which kind of brings us back to what Julie started yeah. the show with, which is, yeah, you know, we, we can do this, and there are ways to do it, and, and uh, she's excited about, you know, helping people understand that this is going to happen. It already has started happening. So... Finally, some right. good news in the school front, right? Right. And and let me just add here, because I, I think, you know, a nice point to make is these are wonderful, wonderful requirements, um, and they really are requirements, but they're, they're great. However, some of the challenge is going to be how people implement this and how people accept it, people being, you know, the food service workers, the teachers, the administration in the schools, because that will trickle down to the kids. So... You know, there's a possibility that these go into place in your school, and you go and you look, and the quality of the meal still is kind of lacking. Right. And, you know, where the call to action may be is to have, you know, people like us, people that are listening, to volunteer and go into the schools and say, hey, you know, here's, you know, everything that Kevin just just spouted out. These are great ways to use this stuff, and it's appealing, and it's exciting, and it's fresh, and it's appetizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that that really can be the way that we can help because we can have these guidelines, and they're great, but the quality may still be not so, so fabulous. So I think that's where we can help sure. as parents and commu- people in the community. And I did do some research this morning, and I found, because one of my concerns when we got into this whole thing was that there wasn't going to be enough support and on the education side of why they're making the changes and how to do it. But uh, the training and technical assistance is actually part of this uh, program, so they will be getting some help on that end, you know, officially. Right. And then, of course, people like us can do something as well. But let's move into right. the, the, the commercially prepared tofu uh you know, I don't want to get into the whole GMO thing, but most of the tofu today, correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, is is probably the GMO type, correct? 
absolutely genetically yeah, modified the, yeah. yeah so i mean that there's yeah, some health issues to that uh, california just shot down prop 37 to to label food if it has genetically modified organisms in it but you know it's just an asterisk there um we that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother show but but again yeah. we're trying to yeah. satisfy the vegetarian so right and i mean I'm with you. I think that's another show topic because, you know, we can back up to the grains. Mm -hmm. we're, we're on the same topic there, too, right, right. potentially. Um, but I, it's really looking at an alternative. And um, and I don't think that the, the tofu is going to necessarily gonna be seen as mainstream because um, kids that are not at all vegetarian or vegan, if they know it's tofu, they're not going to eat it. So yeah, you're um, probably right. Oh, the same way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, on the on the more traditional alternatives, they also list cheese and eggs. So you know that's going to be part of the meat alternative. Of course, you know that right. wouldn't satisfy the vegans, well, but right. And there's also a big push to get more um, legumes, more beans, mm -hmm. um, peas. Good. Um, and for the the other health benefits from these foods as well. So. There's definitely a push to not just have these maybe as an alternate, but to try to incorporate those more into the plan. The push is to get more natural nutrients, more natural fiber, and make those macronutrients um, really balance out well, too. Right, food-based. We're back to the food-based kind right. of approach here. Right. Oh, good. Well, so I think we turned through the meat pretty well there. Uh, we kind of covered the milk within the meat section, but under the milk category, they will be serving fat-free, unflavored and flavored, or flavored, I guess, uh, some right. low-fat 1%, and some uh, looks like uh, fat-free or low-fat, lactose-reduced or lactose-free. So they got a lot of variation in the milk categories. Right. Okay. And Yeah, and I'm, I'm liking this for, for, you know, I haven't seen a, a strong... Um, so I don't know what I'm about to say is 100% accurate, but um, I, I like that they're putting that lactose-free in. I don't know that I wouldn't mind seeing a soy milk in there, too, for those people that don't consume um, dairy mm -hmm. at all. And and I don't know that that wouldn't happen in those specific schools. I bet that would, and it would meet this requirement. But for kids that um, were you know, had lactose problems or their parents wrote in that they, you know, had an issue because they just didn't like milk, they were able to get fortified juice instead. So I'm not a real big fan of kind of putting these in the same category, so I'm glad that it's, it's broken out mm -hmm. here. And I do know that people, and we've had some discussion, um, you know, kind of via email and Facebook, on the, um, you know, the flavored milks. And one of the things I would rather see a kid have is if everything else is basically healthy and they're having a flavored milk and they drink their milk, then I'd rather see that than them just flat out not drink it. Right. Um, sometimes that flavoring can be help, helpful to get the nutrients in um, and a few extra calories in a more positive way than some of the other ways that the calories were being put in. So we take the good with the bad and there's more good than the bad. For most kids, right. probably. Okay, I right. get that. Well, let's move into the fruit section. Uh, no more than half of the fruit offerings may be in the form of 100% juice. So, you know, a lot of kids, or adults too, they drink a lot of calories. And, and right. I've, I've talked to a lot of my clients over the years, as probably you have Kevin and Julie, um, that think they're doing the healthy thing by giving their kids 100% juice, but that's pretty calorie-dense. Um, a lot of glycemic index pop there. 
especially if right. they're drinking juice all day. So they're going to limit that juice. Uh, they, they also may select from fresh, frozen, canned, and juice with light syrup. I got a little, uh, got a little concern with the syrup because that sounds like a lean brace firing squad topic for Kevin Rail. But you know, I guess <laughs> a light syrup is better than a heavy syrup because when I was in school, it was that really heavy, almost like molasses syrup on those pears and peaches. Yeah, I remember that very well. Yep, and and I think we'll see a lot more canned and juice because you see a lot more offerings canned and juice than even in light syrup. There tends to be, even if you go to the grocery store, if you look at the can, you get the canned and juice and the syrup. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of offerings light, so I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that it'll stay more towards the juice. And they're also doing if, some dried fruit as well, it looks like, in the fruit category. And just yeah. just to give you a ballpark, if your kids are in grade K to 5, that's half a cup a day of fruit. If they're in grade 6 to 8, it's half a cup a day of fruit. And if they're in grades 9 to 12, it's one cup a day of fruit, just to give you a little reference. Uh, let's and there, go ahead. And I was just going to say, the push is to have more fresh fruit offerings good, good. Um, than the others. So I think there's a nice push to, to better options here um, for the kids. Good. And that, I don't think a lot of kids really understand what real food looks like. So to see a right. real piece of fruit or a real vegetable that hasn't been somehow processed and chopped and minced and liquefied it could be an interesting concept for some of these kids. I've actually had kids that brought me a fruit roll-up that thought that was a serving of fruit. Yeah. Yeah, literally. And they, they, they were serious. I mean, they, that, that's what they thought uh, serving a fruit was. So we've, we've got a long ways to go, but it sounds like this fruit change with the new guidelines is going to be a step in the right direction. So we'll move yeah. forward into the vegetable section now. And a little reference, grades K to 5, that's three-quarters cup a day. If your kids are grades 6 to 8, it's three-quarter cup a day. And if they're in grades 9 to 12 high school, it's one cup a day. And... Uh, Let's see. They've got vegetable subgroup weekly requirements, and they've got that broken down by dark green, red, orange, beans, peas, uh, starchy. Uh, kind of interesting. Got some colors in there. Right. That's what I'm thinking is so fabulous is we're not in beige and green anymore. We're right. really looking beyond and getting the oranges and the purples and the reds. And you know, when you think about this is really shaping what people think of nutrition potentially, mm-hmm. Even if they don't partake, they're seeing it. So it's really giving some great nutrition education in a very subtle way. Well, 32, um, 32 million kids a day are eating in the school program, so uh, right. they're going to see some colors on their plate for a change. Julie mentioned the beige uh, comment. I mean, when they look at the diets of people that are obese, typically it's a lot of earth tone uh, color foods on the table. There are very little color variations, right? And so we, we're looking for those bright colors with the fruits and vegetables to give that right. higher nutritional value. Yeah, I have a motto that I give my clients. You know, I, I try to let them come up with things more themselves, but I give this one. It's you know, beige is fine if you're wearing it, but beige is boring on your plate. Yeah, so, that's nice. You know, if you've got a beige plate, you're missing all kinds of things nutrient-wise, satisfaction-wise, you're just missing the boat on your meal. That's one of the first things I notice now, one of the red flags that goes up with me. If I'm at a luncheon or, you know, sometimes I have to go to these social events and, and I see the food roll out, if, if it looks beige and there's no color on it, it's a it's a big, like immediate, it's grade two stuff, Kevin. You know, if I don't see the colors there, I know something's missing. So that, that was a good little sub point 
to make on Chewy. That's great. Again, so colorful. Well, let's move in. Also, just another quick thing is what's also nice is, you know, one of the other changes is uncooked leafy greens. Mm -hmm. You know, it it used to be to serve cups, and that would count as your cup, but it only counts for half a cup of the vegetables, which is good because it really needs to be more than just a cup of raw raw greens. Good. So they're upping the quantity of this a little bit. Yeah. Good. Well, let, let's move forward now into the sodium section. I was just shocked. I was reading the the table grid here this morning before the show, and the, on the National School Lunch Program baseline current sodium levels, this is where we're at right now. My yep. kids that are in fourth grade are consuming 1,377 calories of sodium a day. Now, the twins— Milligrams. Milligrams, sorry. Milligrams. Yep. So the— my twins have only eaten in the school lunch program, I think, once in five years. They refuse to eat it. So, I mean, they're actually not eating it, but their classmates are if they're participating. So that's an enormous amount of sodium. And they want to take that down, 1377, all the way down to 640. So, again, that'd be for K-5. So Julie made a great point, though, before the show that, and, and, and we know this, but sometimes we don't mention it enough, you know, we need sodium in our diet. Otherwise, we would actually die it's part of the cellular respiration uh, cycle you know we need sodium so it's not that all sodium's bad but obviously in, in america we have extremely high sodium levels from the processing in our food right when you look at 1377 though you know that's that's that is so excessive that, oh yeah that's, yeah that's almost a day's worth in one meal hmm. wow or so I believe the recommended the recommended total intake for the day is twenty three hundred milligrams. Am I not mistaken? That's if you're being a, if you're being pretty. That's that would be the recommendation if you don't have high your adults don't have high blood pressure, right. um, and and that's challenging to do in our society, which mm-hmm. is really kind of Hard sad when you think about it. Mm. Yeah, I know. So that and and it is the processing. It's it's you know too much in a box in a bag. This sounds like a no-brainer. I think most people would would understand that we have really high sodium levels in our nutritional intake, especially in school today, because of the processing. So hopefully that that's something people will buy into and they'll understand why those changes are being made. Uh, right. Let's move into the calories. So that's this is a little bit uh, confusing, not just to me, but I think a lot of the people, once they get into the changes, they might not understand this. So having Julie on the show as a registered dietitian that's actually worked in the school system is going to be really helpful. But if we look at the guidelines rolling out now, uh, grades K to 5, they're supposed to have a 550 to 650 weekly average. Um, so that would be per day, right? And then the grade, right. grades 6 through 8, they're going to go 6 to 700 calories per day weekly average. And then if you're in high school, grades 9 to 12 is 750 to 850 calories per day weekly average. So it might be higher or lower depending on what they're serving. But there's been some criticisms of the calorie changes. So why don't you tell us why people are critical of that, Julie, and what it really means? Well, and I think some of the criticisms, not just on the calories, but even going back to the protein, one thing we didn't make a comment on is some of the protein foods you're not, you know, you may not see as big a serving because they're coming back to appropriate amount of protein food because we get protein in some of our other foods. So we're getting our needs are definitely being met 
Um, but this is also a way to bring down calories. And you know, the school nutrition program started because we didn't have um, people to didn't have men to fight in the world wars. Mm-hmm. So we needed to beef up the nutrition and um, of our of our country. And now it's gone full circle, and we've got 27 percent of 17 to 24 year olds that are too overweight to join the military. They don't qualify. They're too heavy. So the so this, the criticism then is that the kids aren't getting enough calories. Is that what people are saying? Actually, that has been some of the criticism of these new guidelines. They're not getting enough calories. They're not getting enough protein food mm-hmm. because we're used to eating a big hunk of protein and a big big pile of um, refined grains, and that's it. Well, what would you so, say? What would you say? A, a elementary school child, how many calories do they need a day? In, in your experience? Well, if we're looking elementary, like boys and girls are going to be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But we're looking about sixteen hundred calories for girls, um, eighteen hundred for boys. Okay, and that's K through five. K through five, about. I mean, it's you know they kind of um, go through, you know, the the really young age, and then the calorie level breaks out into like nine to thirteen year olds. So that starts overlapping a bit. And just for reference, and, you know, a lot of kids will go to McDonald's for breakfast on the way to school. So can you tell us what a, a typical fast food breakfast would be in calorie intake just so people have a reference of what their kids really need and what they're actually getting if they're eating well you know it really depends on what they choose but they could end up with 800 to a thousand calories in a breakfast at a fast food restaurant yeah that's what i was thinking okay Okay. i mean you could also go and choose something that's two to three hundred calories and appropriate sure but um that's that's a newer choice that's not typically what's what's happening well, this is inter- um, this is interesting. So for, for grades K through 5, if you have a girl, it's 1,600 calories overall a day, 1,800 if you have a boy. Uh, how right. does that change from grades 6 through 8? What is the calorie general recommendation there? You start getting, you know, a, that's where it gets very, this is where we start to get tricky because they they have to put the, the calorie level and the nutrients based on age. Mm-hmm. But as the kids get older, it starts to puberty starts to shake out some of the differences. And so they're going to have to keep it as the, as the age level because puberty happens all over the board naturally. Right. Um, so when you start to get a little bit older, like the girls are, you know, when, once you get into the high school, um, middle school, high school, we're looking at about 1,800 calories for girls, 2,200 plus for boys. Mm-hmm. And that's probably when they're not you know, when they're just kind of a normal activity, mm-hmm. not doing a lot of recreational things, not real involved in the sports. You can, especially those teenage boys, you could, they could be up into the 3,000, 4,000 calorie need, mm. um, depending on their activity. Okay. And that, that, that's age, interesting. that age group. Yeah. Good points to make. So that gives us kind of a reference. So at school then, you know, they're getting the elementary kids 550 to 650, but that's only about a third of what they need. What's really interesting, and this is probably a topic for another show, is that a lot of the kids only eat at school. There is no food at home. So right. that's a whole other like, issue politically and, and for the show. But it, you know, that might be part of the criticism for the new program is that, hey, my kid's only eating at school, so if you cut the calories, he's going to starve. Of course, I guess we can't well, take care of everyone, but that, that gets really political and a, a, another right. show topic, you know. And, and the calories probably, I don't have them off the top of my head, and I did not pull them up. They're probably not drastically off what they were previous. 
Okay. Um, definitely come down, but they're not drastically off because they've been designed to be about, you know, each meal is about a third of calorie needs for the day. Mm-hmm. But when you look at, especially if, if those kids that only eat at school, if um, many of those kids are involved in after-school programs mm-hmm. and there's snacks involved there that also have similar type of guidelines. And then I was sharing with Kevin and Ron that there's also movement, especially in certain areas that really have a strong need to start providing some dinners. And that is a, a move, and there will be funded very similarly. And it, it's to be able to provide food for people that really don't have food and don't have access to food. And this is something new. I didn't even know that until you mentioned it in our pre-show planning a few weeks ago. So they're starting now. Right. Are they doing this in Georgia already, or is this... Um... They are They are doing it in a couple counties um, in kind of southern Georgia. Okay, so they have to come back to the school to get the meal to, and then take it home. Is that how it works? Right. That's how I believe it's working in most, but they're also looking at alternatives, like the food trucks, you know, the, the carts, oh, okay. things like that. Okay. So... So there's there's definitely some options there, and and you know it may be there's still some um, buy-in. There may still be some um, cost from the families for the meals, um, but you definitely would have to qualify just as you would for the other the breakfast and the lunch. Okay, so it could be like a Title One type thing. Title One being a school with lower socioeconomics, it gets extra funding. Um, right. for school lunch so the kids don't have to pay anything or maybe they pay a reduced price for the lunch right right depending on what the family income so right. that that's the i think we did a great job of the kind of explaining the calorie intake and and requirements and then we'll move into the last section then we're going to add a little section after the fats on the vending machines because that wasn't in this handout but i think that's an important point to make what's happening with vending machines but our next kind of section here in the overview for this new school lunch reform program is the fats and i don't know how much these have changed versus the last standards but they say calories from saturated fast fats must average less than 10 percent this might be a big change uh trans fat must be zero right and these are these are definitely our are basically our nutrition guidelines right Mm -hmm. now for americans Mm -hmm. um even saturated fat may be a little bit lower closer to seven percent but the trans fats, um, it's really since the last guidelines is when trans fats have really been highlighted, the, the negative impact on our health. Right. You know, and, and there are some naturally occurring, but there's not a lot of really naturally occurring trans fats. They've been put into foods as stabilizers, oh. and they were cheaper. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, it's just kind of a chemical makeup of, of um, that type of a fat. It, it gave textures. It gave different um, quality to food from a cheaper product. Um, and so we're seeing, you know, packaged foods going back to ways that, you know, that are more saturated fat now instead of the trans fat. It was interesting. So, cause I wrote a note about that because it, it, it mentioned naturally occurring trans fats found in products. And I thought, well, that, that might be a loophole. I'm, I need Julie to explain that. So I'm glad you kind of explained well, that. And, yeah, and then part of that is, it's really they're looking at the naturally there, but of all the trans fat, um, you know, if you've got something that's naturally and maybe has some added, that it's going to be up to the school district to get the information from the food company, and if they're going to have to trust that, mm-hmm. or a lot of times what I've seen when I've worked in that area of analyzing foods, 
that sometimes you can't get the information from the manufacturer, and what that will just mean is that that food won't be in, in the school because they won't be able to put it in there. Because, you know, there are loopholes on that zero trans fat, even on labels. Right. If it's 0.5 grams or less, you can say zero. But if you have enough 0.5 grams of trans fat, you're adding up to just consuming trans fat. Right. Well, that'd be interesting. So the, the, it sounds like the, the actual supply companies will have to bring their uh, labeling up to speed as well if they want to play in the game and actually yeah. sell their products. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So the vending machines. Now, you know, vending machines, Kevin and I have been around on the vending machine thing, and I, I've i actually worked in the school system a little bit, so I know that they, they depend on vending machine sales to help with budget needs. So yes. it's not realistic from my perspective to say, well, all the vending machines need to go to the firing squad and we're going to take them out. But you uh, enlightened us a, a couple weeks ago saying they're going to make some changes in the vending machines uh, and put some healthier options in there. So I think that's fascinating and way overdue. So can you help us understand what changes are going to be made? Well, I, some of the changes um, are going to be community-based. So, and they could happen now. I'm, I'm working in my community just to get in the door in the schools to, to challenge. But we're seeing um, that one thing, which I had actually until um, a couple days ago, I completely forgot about. Now, there is an alliance um, for a healthier generation, and that was um, you know, Bill Clinton's big initiative on the sodas in the schools. So we are actually seeing some decreasing of sodas in schools because of those initiatives. Um, so that, that's a plus. But the, as Ron, you were saying, the vending is not going to go anywhere because it is so vital to the income of the school to keep offering what they offer, Right. which sometimes is just the basic education. However, there are communities that have totally revamped their vending machines, um, their school um, stores, their, um, even their fundraising, and some of that can be tied into wellness initiatives within the school system, um, and some of it's not, but those that have revamped and started just having healthier options, because even if you look at Coke or Pepsi, they have water that they, you know, they, they bottle. Right. You can put water. Um, so it is looking at water or 100% juice, and I would agree that that's too much juice but better than a soda. Right. Uh, there's a little something there. And flavored water. They have some of those fitness waters that have right. a touch of flavor right. without a lot of calories, you know. Right. So there's – and then in the vending machines, you know, there's you can have fresh foods if they're refrigerated vending. You can have fruits. You can have salads. You can have um, veggies with hummus. You could have peanut butter and jelly, um, roll-up type, you know, turkey roll-up sandwich. You can have a lot of different options in the vending machine. And even the dry vending. What? Whole grain crackers and whole grain crackers and kind of nut butter packets. Yeah. Like or seeds and nuts seeds and nuts. I think bags, there's actually you know. a uh, a vending machine company that specializes in that and it's, I believe they're based in California. Hmm. It has all yep. like healthy options, fruits, nuts, the whole nine everything you just mentioned. I'm pretty sure. Right. Right. And so, you know, you can bring those things in and for the most part, after one to two years um, of the different communities that were targeted, like looked at and analyzed, they were actually bringing in more money from their vending and their other sales. And they were offering healthy options. So 
you know, when you're fueling the kids healthier, they learn more. They are not hungry. They're not irritable. Their their blood sugar is not spiking. They're actually seeing like less fighting. You know, better grades. Lots and lots of health improvement. But some of that is really the community coming on board too. I think we can have a big impact in a quick way, mm-hmm. but we have to really lobby. And one way I think to go after that is every school system has to have a wellness initiative, and some are fabulous and some are pathetic, in my opinion. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, they're 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 tied to that school funding for the school nutrition programs too. You know, so funding is big, and these are are funded. I mean, things like our school, um, the elementary school, they do fun runs. As a fundraiser, you pledge for so many laps of mm. running instead of selling paper products anymore. You know, and so the the idea is to try to get away from those negative food sales and put it into something healthier. I knew a I knew a, a health teacher in California, and for her school fundraising, they sold um, boxes of citrus from uh, local farmers, and I thought that Ooh. was. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. I actually bought one. So instead of selling all the candy bars and all that other crap, they they sold something healthy. And it was for her health class, and so she made a whole lesson around that, and the kids got really excited about it. And right. and so up. And that's, yeah, it's a win-win because it's, it's supporting the local farmers, the local produce. Right. Um, you know, and, and I think that there's, there's more and more, like, local farm-to-table type initiatives going on. There in, are, yeah. In the school system. And it's really... A lot of that comes from the community involvement, even more so sometimes than who's in charge of the school lunch program. You know, sometimes you get a fabulous person in charge who really can make things happen, and sometimes people just in those positions maybe aren't so creative and don't think outside the box. Well, if there's one thing we have in California, it's good farmland and a lot of uh, produce, so hopefully, you know, uh, that can be one thing that California does right, <laughs> yep. and uh, the other states can look to as things develop. But uh, speaking of California, they, California did some awesome research uh, years ago showing the you know the benefits of physical education on test scores and all that. So we have good science now to to show that if kids eat better and they get movement, they'll do better in school. It's I, I, there's so many politics involved in this that it makes it difficult to do what needs to be done. But this. This does look like a step in the right direction. I think that's a, a positive note to finish the show on. And it's it's been great uh, having Julie Schwartz here, registered dietitian from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, NutriWell Coaching is her website. And I'll hook all these links up. And if you need any consulting or extra help on the dietitian side, please make sure to contact Julie Schwartz. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Is there anything you want to say in closing, Julie? Now, I just want to um, thank you for bringing me on, and I think that the timing was just so perfect that I had done a workshop that I had just recently been um, aware that these changes were happening. And they started this school year, and the workshop was after they were in place. I didn't even know they were going on. So, you know, I think that the school school nutrition needs some impact. Um, hopefully it's coming with these new regulations. and. And I hope that all your listeners will take to heart some of the calls to action that we can do to impact our community um, through just a little bit of advocacy. Indeed. And I, I didn't even know about these changes until we 
started talking a few weeks ago. So again, thank you so much for coming on and helping us, and Kevin, for your input as well. Uh, you're such an ace when it comes to you know just having the the product knowledge of foods right off the top of your head and and uh, you know macronutrient contents. You always have good input. And, and, and uh, I love. I love Kevin. I love all those. I mean, you just spouted off so many wonderful ideas of, you know, just here. Here's a way to put nuts throughout because I do do that with my clients, but you know, we don't always think of that. Um, you know, I, I know the answers to everybody's problems. I always say this: the answers to any problem in life is never more than an arm's reach away. Literally. Yep. And uh, yep. To, you know, people often get overwhelmed with the idea of, oh my God, I got to change all my diet habits. Oh no, what am I going to do now? Woe is me, poor me. But they don't look at the big picture, and it doesn't have to be complicated. And I know, I feel for them, I have empathy for those people, because I was in that position once years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was a long learning curve for me. So I just take the knowledge I have of what I've learned, and I try to apply that to everybody else's situation and say, well, here's the easy way to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eliminate all that excessive worry and stress from your life, because I've already been down the, I've, I've already bared the burden for, for you, and I'm going to you, give it to you the easy way. So it doesn't have to be complicated. And you, you made a good point about having educators come in and explain how how can I use quinoa, how can I use garbanzo beans, how can I use nuts, how can I use seeds, and all these other things. So I always try right. to keep things easy for people to understand. Hopefully, That's a good point. hopefully this will create some interest at home where the parents actually want to do some yeah. continued learning or some workshops and things like that. And and that would be a lot of fun for us to be involved with as well. So again, thanks, Julie. Yeah, I've, I haven't told you this, but you're absolutely one of my favorite people in the Well Coaches organization. I always like to see you when I run into you, and, and you're just a super nice person. So thanks so much for helping us, and I'm oh, sure, sure you'll well, be back. Thank you. I so appreciate that, and I'd love to be back anytime that I can be of help or guidance. Just let me know. All right. Thanks awesome. a lot. Thanks, Kevin. All right. No problem. You've been listening to the Lean Braze Radio Show at theleanbraze.com. Music today provided by Hot Rod Walt and the Psycho DeVilles from Atlanta, Georgia. Until next time, keep moving. No excuses. I'm Roots Rock. Ready, I'm Roots Rock. Ready, I'm Roots Rock.